welcome to Girls Like Us, the podcast that asks the question, what does a degree in literature get you with the answer, a podcast about children's books. We're doing a night recording. We're doing Girls Like Us at night tonight. Uh, Girls Like Us after dark. Sophie's power went out earlier. Very exciting, you know. It did. It's windy here. Um, I'm in the house alone, so I literally thought it was lights out. I thought it was absolutely... I mean, literally die. and figuratively lights out. I thought I was going to be murdered 100%. Um, I kind of anticipated it. You know, this thing always happens to me whenever Nick's not here where I just, I lose all concept of time. Like, I mm-hmm. have no ability to, Well, it's because you don't, like, well, this is my experience. As someone who works from home, like, if Meg's not here, I, I mean, and I don't have meetings, I don't talk to anyone all day long. Like my, I don't yeah. use my voice. Like, I feel like that's part of it too. If you're used to talking to someone in the house, then you don't, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, it's that, but it's also just like, you know, I stay at work late because like I do like go to school and then I go to the office. And so if I'm at the office, there are people there. And if there's no one at home, like, I'm not feeling any, like, pressure to go home. So I'm literally, like, at work. Like, last night, um, I was at work till, like, 7. And tonight, I was at work until, like, 6. Because I'm just, like, there's still people here. So, like, I can hang out. Like, there's no reason to go home. Um, and then I eat really weird things. I tried to make myself a carbonara tonight. But Nick is That's really a dangerous a carbonara. game. Carbonara is difficult. Ugh. It was so Because if you so fuck bad. it up, then it's, like, it is, like, scrambled eggs and pasta. No, it was like together. soup. Ugh. It was like soup. It was so bad. I didn't put enough cheese in it. I'm so pissed. I like, and I didn't cook the pasta long enough. Like, I, I'm like not, like, <laughs> I cook like every single night. But like when Nick is not here, I have like no fucking ability. Last night I made myself a frozen pizza. I ate four fruit roll-ups in bed the other night. Like, it's just truly like a fucking disaster. You keep fruit roll-ups in the house? I bought them because Nick was out. I was like, I can buy whatever I want. Yeah. Oh, shit is so good. But I, the other night, I just got in bed and I put four of them next to the bed and I just went to freaking Chomp City over there. That's what I do with, um, with Hershey's Kisses. Like, I have a little pile next to my bed and I'll just eat them. What we have been doing, well, not what we have been doing. What we do is Meg falls asleep like about an hour earlier than me. And so I'll, like, be watching whatever, like, YouTube, like, video game, YouTube video uh, I watch. And I'll just be going through my little pile of kisses. Got those with the the Valentine's Day coloring. My favorite. Yeah, so usually I'm the one who falls asleep first. Mm-hmm. And, like, Nick is either, like, downstairs, like, watching, like, a sports game or, like, I am in bed. And, like, mm-hmm. I usually I like to read before bed. And then he comes yeah, up nerd. and like watches like uh I'm crazy. I'm not like other girls I like to read before bed. Um he comes up, watches like a YouTube video while while I fall asleep. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah, same deal. And so without that, like I can't fall asleep. I've had to like melatonin myself to sleep every night. So I'm waking up groggy. Mm-hmm. It's just like a bad situation. I'm sleeping with the weighted blanket too. So I have like no incentive to get up in the morning. Yeah. Nobody is making me coffee. Um, I'm scared I'm to use our weighted myself. blanket because I'm worried it's going to crush cookie. I'm worried it's going to like suffocate her because she gets to sleep in the bed. We're trying to kind of wean off of it. But when she was having her, I, I don't even, did I even talk about this on the podcast about her 
her double mastectomy. I don't even know if I brought this up. I think you did. I think you did. I think it was unavoidable. It was unavoidable. Yeah. Anyway, she's fine. But, um, but when she was having her surgeries and after, like, we felt just really bad for her. So we let her up on the bed and now of course she sleeps there every night and it's bad for our bodies, you know, but, uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm just kind of scared to use the weighted blanket um, because I'm worried that it's going to crush her. Even though probably the weight distributed, it's like five pounds per quarter. That probably wouldn't wouldn't crush her. I don't know. Yeah, I only use the weighted blanket when Nick's not here because if he's here, like it's just like usually you much. sleep and he lies on top of you. I mean, if you want to get real, that's literally what happens. Yeah. Um, I usually wake up in some variation under him. So, um, but I will say I'm feeling a little bit positive, even though also like I'm on my period right now. So I have like, no, like I'm just eating random things, but, um, I have no energy. I have no serotonin, but, um, we or last night, the Vanderpump rules season 10 premiere came out and everybody's been promising a rebirth of the show for many reasons. One is that like half the cast have gotten divorces since Mm -hmm. the um, last season ended. Well, Katie and and Tom have been divorced, right? Since last season. Yeah. Katie and Tom have gotten divorced. Lala and Randall have separated. What about Tom and Ariana? And Raquel. Tom and Ariana are still together, but they're facing their story arc this season is that they're facing open relationship allegations. People are accusing them of being in an open relationship. Um, And then um, the big thing um, that I had no idea and was like a reveal for a lot of people, I think, last night is that DJ James Kennedy, who now has a 22-year-old girlfriend, is drinking again also. And Wait, like James, no, like, he's been like sober yes, for years, right? Yes, yes, yes. And he's dating this 22-year-old and he's like, no, 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 I can drink again. Like, it's fine. And everybody's oh, no. like, James, stop drinking. And no, it's fine, love. Isn't he British? Yeah, that up. like okay. you can see it on his face too that he's like, engaging unfortunately in alcohol use again and like i never want to wish anybody like into a situation where they're maybe pulled into an addiction again however at least there's accountability if the cameras are on you you know what i mean like at least like there's a lot exactly. of people involved yes did were he and max friends is that how he got on the show max of course being lisa vanderpump's son um, he, they're like old family friends. So like, um, James's parents are like, like connected to Lisa and Ken, but he's like still DJing at Sir. And I don't know. I think it's going to be a really good season because everybody seems like very game to like bring the drama. Um, and the Tom and Katie separation thing is yeah key. And then. Well, they the, never, they never had a good relationship, though. No, they never They're, did. Like, I Tom mean, and Tom Ariana, Schwartz's, the open relationship, it's like, whatever. Ariana did always kind of give me bisexual vibes, to be honest. I would not be surprised by that, but, like, whatever works, whatever. Oh, she's, she's Katie, openly bisexual. Is she really? I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. well, that makes even more yeah. sense. Um, yeah. Tom and Katie, like, it's just bad. Like, I, I mean, from this, yeah. I watched, like, seasons one through three. I, of course, saw the... Jax and uh what's her name cheating 
Jackson and Kristen. Yeah, Jackson and Kristen. That was amazing. Um, but I, their relationship was not good. Uh, they both seem really dumb um, and mean. The problem is that Tom Schwartz is a, like, a deeply broken man. Like, I saw someone tweet last night, you know, in my in my corner of Vanderpump Rules live tweets, and I do agree with this, is that, like, Tom Schwartz is the most tragic character on television. Like, yeah. he is, like, there's something so deeply sad about his existence, like, and so deeply strange. Like, he has nothing. His life is, like, largely meaningless. He had this woman who was, like, deeply patient with him for, like, years and just, mm-hmm. like, all he did was get drunk and cheat on her and yeah. then gaslight her about it and then, like, tell her, get drunk and, like, tell her she was, like, fat and ugly when she was, like, going through shit. And, like, honestly, like, Katie without him is now, like, not annoying me anymore. Like, when I saw yeah. her, and not to bring this up again, but, like, when I saw her in, in Vegas. Um, Vegas and I... By the way, did you go, because I recently watched a Sophia Nygaard video where she, like, went to every single hotel in Vegas. Like, she stayed in yeah. every hotel. Yeah. You went to that little, like, ski, like, the, the like, ski theme Yes, bar, the right? ski lodge place. Yeah. Yeah. That looked fun. It was so fun. It was so fun. I can't wait to go back. I really want to go back to Vegas because I was only there for, like, 12 hours. Um, Truly, I, is, you know me, I'm so COVID conscious. I knock on wood, have not have COVID yet. As soon as I do get COVID, I'm flying to Vegas. That's, like, going to be my, like, when I'm in those, like, uh, two-week two, win- two week window of, like, super immunity, that's what I will do with it. That's how I'll use that power. I would go so far as to say it would be worth it to get COVID in Vegas. <laughs> it would be absolutely worth it. I'm not being funny. I'm literally being 100% serious. It would be absolutely worth it. Um, but when, when we're I in, like, embraced- 2028 and it's, like, a variant, like... Digimon or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I don't know. I'd be fine. I mean, like, if that's how I'm going to go out, that's how I'm going to go out at this point. I'm not. I just like circus, babe. Yeah, I'm going out at uh, Vanderpump Op Harry with like two fucking like bright neon pink drinks that taste exactly the same (laughs) in my mouth. Um, They're like, do the autopsy. Your your loved ones are thinking it's COVID. They're like, oh no. Yeah, Her it's the interaction of these two. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like that girl that got it, sir, that shat all over the floor because she got so much food poisoning instantly on site at sir. She like had like a like multiple worms in her system. Are you um, serious? Did you know from about this? sir? No, I didn't know about this. Um, there's like a there's a girl. <laughs> there's an incident at sir. Where a girl, like, was, like, she was there eating dinner and then got up to go to the bathroom, fell to the floor, and just shat out, like, the entire <laughs> contents of her body everywhere. She, because, she like, that's how much. restaurant, am I right, <laughs> Yeah, that's how much. It was, like, she was on her hands and knees. Like, it was coming out of both ends. And oh she, like, God. had to, she, like, passed out and had to be hospitalized. That is um, scary. But it's not from the surf food. It was from the surf. It was food. from the it surf. It was like food? she okay. ate something that caused an immediate reaction because that's how rancid it was. I will say the food at the Vanderpump restaurants in Vegas is much better than the food at the Vanderpump restaurants in LA. That's because mm, she is like, too, right? Mich- she is 
the Paris one and then the garden one. Yeah, Vanderpump Pop Perry and then the Vanderpump Cocktail Garden. Mm-hmm. Um, From what I saw, maybe the Ah Perry was the better experience of this video. Ah Perry is new. Okay. Um, Cocktail Garden is really small. Yeah, um, that's what that's Aw the Perry's vibe that like I was getting. Restaurant. And the drinks were like super, super expensive for what it was. At Vanderpump Pop Perry or the Cocktail Lounge? The Cocktail. Like the from cocktail the, lounge? Yeah. I don't know. The video made it seem like Opery was like, if you're going to choose one, like you're going to want Opery. Okay. So I went to both. The I, there are merits to both, I will say. And when you're in Vegas, it's like going to Disney and that like you can just like pop into different places. Like yeah. what Michelle and I did is that like we started, we had, because we were staying at Caesars. And so the cocktail lounge was just downstairs. We went down there. We had like one drink. And then you, like, you bop from place to place and, like, get, mm-hmm. like, little snacks and apps and stuff. Um, but when I saw Katie leaving Vanderpump Au Perry and I embraced her, and I told her I was happy for her that she had finally gotten rid of Tom from, like, that godforsaken sad sack out of her life. I'm yeah. sobbing. I'm holding her. I'm I'm. I'm her feeling. boyfriend, he wanted to be an actor and he still wants to be an actor. She can't be tied down yes. like that. You cannot have a boyfriend no. who actively is on TV a and husband, still a wants husband. To, a husband who wants to be an actor. Yes. When he's it's actively disgusting. on TV. No. To have a husband who wants to be an actor, period, is something yeah. so embarrassing that I can't possibly fathom it. It's like yeah. just get your real estate license and give up already so that like right. our children Make some don't money. have to like go work in the mines. Like yeah. get fucking real. If I like you would not find me with anybody who had acting ambitions, period. That is embarrassing. No. <laughs> um so Japanese I vintage reseller aspirations, sure, but <laughs> uh, hey, my no, man is going to do what he it. has to do to support our family. At least he's not getting up on stage and lying in front of an audience because that's what acting is, lying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I felt in Katie when I embraced her, when I poured my heart out to her, sobbing, makeup all over my face, two lit cigarettes in my mouth. Um, I felt in her a beautiful lightness that I had not seen mm-hmm. Um that I had not seen from her on television or on her Instagram page in a long time. And that's not just because she was like, like facial fillered to the gods and yeah. in a tiny, tiny little black dress. Like she, which when you posted that is, the photo of the selfie with her, I did not recognize her because of that. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Because she's been snatched to the gods. She has the, the Khloe Kardashian revenge body aura all over. Um, mm-hmm all over her. So I think it's going to be a great season um, because I think there's going to be some scandalous sucking and fucking. And now that everybody's single, they're like admitting to times where they like cheated on each other with each other, which is exciting. Have Um, Tom and Ariana cheated on each other? Tom and Ariana. I think that is what we're working up to this season is that we're going to find out about that, um, which is exciting. Um, And it's, yeah, I don't know. So I'm excited, but also you said tonight you comes out. Yeah, you's coming. You comes back. out tonight, baby. You comes you's out tonight, honey. Um, you know we we're past our our limit uh, for talking about non book items, but when when I watched the premiere of you, which we're recording this on Thursday, February 9th, 
Uh, part one's coming out uh, tonight, and then the second half of the season is coming out in March, um, which March is going to be a good month because second half of you, Yellow Jackets. I was just recalling that I remember my friend Mackenzie in college, um, we were at this, we did like an LA, like J term, January term, like whatever thing. Um, I remember her watching it and being like, oh, like that shows about a stalker. Like that's fucked up. And yet I would hear her watching it from her bed because uh, we shared a room and I was so intrigued by it. And I, I think you is one of the best shows on television, period. It is so fully. fucking good. Yeah. I'm so excited to see Joe in Paris. I was saying to Meg last night because we were rewatching a little bit of season three. I would like Joe to come to Chicago. I would like to see what type of shenanigans he gets up to in Chicago. Like if he's going to be Ewing, you know, uh, someone at a hot dog stand, like what is he going to be doing? Like uh, they just captured no, the vibe of New York, doing. the vibe of LA, the vibe of suburbs so well. Let's yeah. get him in the second city, honey. Joe is going to you an improv is, girl. Let's, let's see yeah, it. I want to see it happen. Joe is going to be, Joe is going to become an improv teacher. Yes. And he's going to you like a young um, marketing executive from the suburbs. But then what he's going to realize is that he's actually the least sociopathic um, early <laughs> 30s male improv teacher yeah. <laughs> in the entire city. And he's going to get run out by like a bunch of dudes named Brad and Dan who like literally have women tied up in their basement. Um, yeah, Joe. Joe's struggling to make front-facing comedy videos. Um, yeah, I would love That's to see what that. We'll finally yeah. kill him. Yeah. yeah, he can't be killed until he comes to the. He's gonna like eat an Italian beef and like do the mongrel Have a sir. on the floor of like yeah. yeah on the like a sir moment on the floor of the Kingston Mines or something. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um, I'll report back on you. I'll see how the season goes. I, I hope it's not worse. Yeah, like, I just feel like every season has been really, really good. So fingers crossed that it continues to remain good. You know, Lifetime is like choking themselves right now because they gave that shit yeah. up and now it's so popular. Yeah. They um I, they have my boy Lucas Gage on this season. So I'm excited. He's one of oh, my, really? he's one of my faves. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about this book. Yes. It's Valentine's Day. We're getting horny with our, our teen <laughs> friends in, in Judy Bloom's uh Forever. Dot, I don't know Judy Bloom's you. Um Forever dot 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 Judy Bloom. I think this book is uh written in the eighties. Um, I think it was released in the seventies. Really? it was either the seventies or the eighties. I couldn't I couldn't remember. Um, 1975. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is like, uh, well, it's immediately after the passage of, of Roe v. Wade, which I think is very interesting because like, there's a solid chunk of this book that just, um, is literally just purely educational. Like the girl goes to like Planned Parenthood to get prescribed birth control. And it's like, literally just like, like a detailed. It's Planned Parenthood spawn con, basically. Yeah. Which I'm not mad at. It was triggering uh, me because I was um I was trying to do all of this research on um abortion and birth control access for teenagers in the early 1980s for a project that um my academic boss was working on. Um and I was like trying to find like narratives, like real life narratives of girls 
visiting Planned Parenthood and other like women's health and abortion clinics in the early 1980s. And it's like really hard to find. And then I finally found this book by this woman named Susan Kuklin called What Do I Do Now? About like teen pregnancy in the early 1980s. It was like following all these different girls like when they were pregnant. And like it sounded the section where she's in Planned Parenthood and like going through the consultation and like getting the physical exam done and then like going on to the prescription phase was exactly like the narrative in this book that like I had to read like and write a report on for my boss. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Like, this is like triggering me right now. Yeah. I, you know, this book, like there's a lot of things that I think we're just going to like get into today because like, this is kind of the apex of horny teen literature. This book, I read it in seventh grade. I think like I got it out from our school library. Um, and you know, Judy Bloom says that she wrote this book because her daughter asked her, like, why aren't there any books where the um, two main characters have sex and then the girl doesn't die or get pregnant or, like, yeah. you know, have some other tragic consequence? And this book is kind of the answer to that. It's interesting, though, because rereading it now, you see, from an adult perspective, you can see, like, because basically this girl, she starts to have sex with this boy, Michael. Michael is very much like a teen boy. When you're reading it in seventh grade, you're like, oh my gosh, like I basically, I wish this could happen to me, Like, right? Like I wish I had this loving uh, yeah. sexual relationship. As an adult, you read it and you're like, oh yeah, this, you know, good for her, I guess, but I'm glad that they broke you're up. You're like, because- Michael should be executed. Right, Michael because- should be fucking executed. It's really interesting because Judy Bloom in the intro is like, you know, I um think that, Basically, like, my daughter was also trying to, to tired of reading books where the boys only had sexual emotions and the girls didn't have any uh, sex sexual desire at all. Uh, you know, he's, Michael, his consent could use a little updating in 2022. It's a lot of, like, her essentially being like, well, my body feels ready, but my mind doesn't. And he's like, well, I can tell you're ready. Um, and she enjoys it, right? Like, it, I think that's, like, I think it's probably realistic for what girls from this time frame are going, you know, through. However, could his kind of understanding of maybe consent and like how to ask for consent, could that be updated, you know, as a teen boy reading this in 2022? Absolutely. So that was kind of surprising to me that it was not like, like I could definitely see flaws, I guess, in in the character of Michael going through this. Sure. But I liked that because to me it felt, it's definitely accurate rather yeah. than rather than like wish fulfillment because I think that I don't know how far this book would be off. Like I don't know if there's actually been a lot of development in teen boys and the way that they feel entitled to sex in the way that like we might hope there was, if that makes sense. Like I think that still one of the driving forces in our society when it comes to, like, sexual relationships um, between men and women is the commodification of women's bodies and men feeling entitled to them. It's just that, like, some of the language around it has become softer and it's become less socially acceptable to explicitly pressure Pressure. somebody into sex. However, I think that, like, implicitly... Like, until we fully deconstruct our society, and maybe I'm in, like, a negative space because of, you know, things we were talking about offline 
generally. But I think in, in ter- until we fully deconstruct our society and come to a whole new cultural understanding that is divorced from like the ways that like feminism and like the Me Too movement have been like commodified, like men fundamentally will feel entitled to women's bodies and entitled yeah. to having sex with them. And just the the behaviors will change aesthetically. But at the end of the day, it's still real. You I know? think, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that we need to talk about, and I said, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. The things that happened in this book, right? This book has been banned time and time again. People were really mad yeah. at it for number one, uh, discussing, because again, she goes to Planned Parenthood in this whole chapter, um, discussing contraception at all. This main character goes on contraception. This main character has, you know, for the time, responsible teen sex, right? Um, mm-hmm. She has, you know, penetrative sex. They dry hump. She gives him a hand job. What does not happen in this? Blowjobs. Oral. Oh, yeah, that's That real. doesn't happen at all in this book. It was a little bit surprising to me, to be honest, because it's like, I don't, I don't know. It's like this book for as explicit as I remember it being in seventh grade is not super explicit. The only thing it's explicit about is saying that she orgasmed. I mean, and they kind of talk about his penis a little bit, his penis that this main character does uh, named Ralph. Disgusting. Uh, this is, that's what I remember from seventh book. grade. Yeah. Um, don't name your penis. Um, uh, but that was kind of interesting to me because it really, as far as like books go, is not super explicit. Like you can, uh, people were mad at it because it showed like kind of an accurate depiction of, of teen sexuality and dared to say that the girl might enjoy sex. Um, and I, it was like I feel like in a like lesser book she would be like oh like what just happened to me like I don't understand what happened yeah. to me but she no, already she knows going into this came. like yeah oh like I like you know I'm horny for him basically um, which sorry I need you to explain again what your theory is as to why there is no depiction of a blowjob because I think I disagree. No, I don't, I don't have a theory. That's surprising to me that there was not a depiction of a blowjob in it because they basically go from dry humping to full sex. Um, I mean, she jerks him off. Yeah. But there's no, there's no Um, oral at all. And the only time we kind of get a hint of it is when she later in the book, basically they get separated in that they both have summer jobs. She's working at this camp. She has a crush on this camp counselor she has a dream about him and she's like, I did things with him like I've never done with Michael. I was thinking that meant blowjob. Um, it was just interesting to me that that was not touched on at all. When you would think that. I think. I don't know. My guess, just from like a having done a bunch of like reading on sort of sex and sexuality from a feminist perspective in this time for this like research thing I've been working on is that um, a lot of people, even like in the sex positive space and like feminist sort of sex positive and, um, you know, like sex forward accounts of the time were like deeply anti-blowjob because they thought it was like debasing. Well, probably wasn't reciprocated, I'm guessing, so... Yeah, I like can understand, oral sex I guess, had, not including that. 
yeah, like oral sex was like something that was like, um, like thought of as like property essentially and like part and parcel to like queerness. And it was like still seen as something that was like, um, sort of like, like not something you would like do to like your husband or something like that. It was like, it was devi, it was a deviant sexuality. Um, at that time, even in more like liberated spaces, like there was still like weirdness surrounding the humble blow job. Now these days, I mean, it's like what I can, I can get my laptop to blow me anytime I want. Um, I was thinking that while I was reading this, I was like, damn, if they did this in 2022, honey, you'd have to be talking about eating ass. You'd have to be talking about freaking, uh, pegging SM. Yeah. You, you'd have to get yeah. all into it. The other thing I remember um, from this book, when I read it in seventh grade that I think stuck with me was that at one point she talks about being able to hear her parents fucking and how that she can oh, hear disgusting. her mom say her dad's name. And then later Roger, after she has sex, Roger. yeah, after she has sex, she's like, I guess I am like my mom because I was saying Michael's name. That's the other thing that really stuck out to me. That and Ralph, which is of course, again, uh, to clarify what he calls his penis. And he like, this is like a pre-named thing. It's not like an inside joke. He's like, by the way, I'd like to introduce you to Ralph. Ralph is my penis. And like they're this talking about to be locked up. Yeah, they're talking about because there's another interesting part of this, which like this main girl, um, were me and you having sex as teens? No. Were we like this other girl who's uh determined to get this gay guy to like her? <laughs> yes, that was to us. fuck her. Yeah. <laughs> there's, determined there's, to get a gay guy to dick her down. Yeah. There's a girl named um, Erica who's the main character, Catherine's best friend, and then um, Michael's best friend is Artie and they're trying to get together and he's like, yeah, like, I think I'm not gay. I'm just impotent. So she's like, okay, I can help you fix that. And obviously it doesn't yeah, work. Uh, but, but at some point he, he is so sad and depressed because he really wants to go to acting school and his dad won't let him. And so the Catherine is like, man, I wish there was a way we could help him when they're like back home and like chilling out. And he's like, there's not a way you can help him, but there's a way you can help Ralph. And, like, pulls his dick out. I'm like, you can't name your penis something. Judy Bloom says in the intro, you need to, you know, if you're having sex, you need to be essentially, like, informed and you need to, you know, be prepared for the consequences. And that's not in a, like, be scared of pregnancy type thing. It's more of a be scared of essentially, not be scared, be wary of the emotional aspects of sex, which I think is a fair message to teach. Um, yeah, like the ways that you have to communicate yeah, in order I to think, have like a healthy sexual relationship. Yeah. Exactly. Because this book also addresses kind of like that sex does involve communication and that you're not going to automatically have a magical sexual experience the first time or any time without communication. But I would say, yeah. is naming your penis responsible? No. I would kind of say that's kind of the opposite of responsibility. I just like... I'm glad this book exists. I liked reading it. I hadn't read it before. Um, I, you know, all of a sudden, like, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Maybe it was in in anticipation of reading this book. But I was thinking about, like, how when you're a teen, like, part of the reason that adults are uncomfortable discussing sex with you is because... They don't want to 
overstep any like boundaries of appropriateness. And therefore, like a lot of media produced for teens sort of like like is weird about sex either in that it's like hypersexualized or it's like undersexualized. And like, you know, like when you do a school play, you want to be more frank about sex because like you, that's something, you know, happens. And like, usually it's involved in whatever play you're doing, but like teachers don't really want to go near it because like, they don't want to be weirdos. And I started to realize like, I am the adult now who like reading about two teens having sex, like makes me, want to kill myself. But then I also have this commitment to like wanting teens to have frank depiction of depictions of sex and like wanting to, you know, I don't have any teens in my life currently, but like wanting to be somebody who like teens could, I don't know, rely on as like an ally right, yeah. in these situations. And it's just interesting that perspective shift, like from being a teen who wants these things to being an adult who's naturally Who uncomfortable by it and, because it's about yeah. teens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, well, one thing when you're talking about like teachers, like doing like, you know, plays and stuff, I do remember we had a really, I had a really awkward experience with the director of um, some of my shows in high school, which he just like, there was like a line in Oklahoma about like, oh, he's been eating those green apples. And we were like, uh, the teacher was like, well, you know, like green apples. And we were like, the cast was like, what? And he was like, well, you know, like, you know, like green M&Ms. And we were like, we don't, we don't know what that is. And he was like, well, you know, they're supposed to, you know, like make you horny. And we were like, oh, okay. Because apparently that was green a Green M&M makes you horny? Green M&Ms make you horny. And not just because she's sexy. There was a myth that just only eating green M&Ms would make you horny. And that has nothing to do with the fact that she's a sex symbol, obviously, even though she's, she's retired legs, right now. Yeah. So I want to respect her privacy. I know she's kind of like out of the scene. Honey, I think she's coming back this <laughs> Sunday, Super Bowl. Time will tell. When, when you guys are listening is. to this, you're going to know for sure if she's back on the scene, which I think that they're going yeah. to be back on the scene. Um, but I think, is, I yeah. was like, uh, my thing with the M&Ms is I think they should just double down on the controversy where like they should come back on Sunday. The green M&M should have visible pussy lips. <laughs> there should be one that's like, that's like, um, like, not just non-binary, but like gender queer, and that like she goes b- by all pronouns. Yeah. There should be one that like um is like a convicted felon who's just been released from prison and is like working through a probation program. I think um, the green M&Ms need to be like if you've like I forget the name of it, but like there are these there's like a, a manufacturer of emojis that are like horny emojis. And they're like emojis that are like the yellow balls. And then they'll have like full vagina, full penis. That's what yeah. an M&M needs to have, right? Like she needs to, they need to like triple down on it to get my attention, right? Because it's like, I'm desensitized. Okay, we grew up, <laughs> we grew up in an era, yeah. I'm desensitized. I'm not turned on by that green M&M. You, come on, you got to go a little no. harder for me. Yeah, get my attention. Yeah, let's see it. Um, But what I was going to say with the adult stuff is a character that I really appreciate in this book was that of her grandma. Because I think, Mm. because basically in this book, like, it is true that, like, teens' parents are, and I can understand it being, not not me being a parent, um, because, of course, Cookie, as we always say, has had more sex than Meg and I will ever have as a result of being being professionally, uh, being a puppy mill breeder. But, um 
She's but been yeah. bred in, yeah. in more ways than one. But the book kind of gives, like, us a, you know, example of, like, your parents can be caring and loving, and they can kind of try to talk to you about sex, but that's not always going to necessarily be the right resource all the time. Her grandma in the book works for Planned Parenthood or works with Planned Parenthood, and her grandma is someone she can go to. And her grandma also is actively like, hey, by the way, you're going to want to read these things. Like, I don't judge, I just advise. So I liked that too as an idea of like, because I think there is kind of sometimes a pressure for like, you can tell your parents anything, but sometimes that just might not be the best or easiest thing for you to do. So I liked the idea that it was like being like, okay, there are probably other adult resources in your life um, within your family or you know, within your, probably within your family that are, that are going to be like, Hey, like I can give you the lowdown and I can be this support system for you when it's, that can be a cause of friction between you and your parents. Yeah. I mean, like I have great parents who like were nothing but like loving and encouraging to me. And I didn't want to talk to my parents about sex no. till I was like 21. It's just like, you just don't want no, to. No, you don't want to. Yeah. I don't know. Until, like, what like, did- what do you think if you had read this book as a teen, what would have what would have your takeaways been? Um that I wanted to get some probably would have See, been my first. I think that was my takeaway as well. But I we feel are like in a I different would literally era. kill myself to have sex right now, <laughs> probably would be my main takeaway. Um And I would be like, I want to have sex and I want, I don't care if it kills me. And I don't want my mom, I don't want my mom to talk to me about it. (laughs) Those would be my main takeaways. I'd be like, if a boy took me on a ski trip where he not only wanted to fuck me, but he paid for my lift ticket, I would literally be okay with dying the next day. That would have literally been my takeaway. Yeah, I think something that's like interesting with this book too is... Well, when we're talking about, like, the Planned Parenthood stuff, basically, as we mentioned, it is, like, SpawnCon for Planned Parenthood, like, a full chapter. One thing I wanted to ask you about that I was confused about, because I listened to the audiobook, which is narrated by the girl who originated the role of the gay woman in the prom on Broadway. I didn't know that until I looked her up. Oh, I didn't get that. But they talk about uh, condoms at Planned Parenthood, because Judy Bloom also notes in her intro, like, in the 70s, people were more worried about pregnancy you pro- you weren't thinking about std but today you would be like okay you can't just go on the pill and have the pill be your only source of protection you're also going to want to double up with a condom and, and i mean but what you're what are you going to tell a teen right you're going to tell a teen like you're going to want to double up on on these things they talked about a you're condom gonna wear, you're going to want to wear two condoms yeah we're we're five we're the whole damn pack they talked about condom with sponge did they mean condom with like the sponge or did they mean like a condom that had a sponge inside of it? I don't know, but I can guarantee you there is no kind of condom with a sponge inside That's, of it. That's the way that she said it. I was like, it's like when SpongeBob wears a condom to to fuck Patrick. To, yeah, I'm so he wears sorry. A condom this is what happened to me recorded night. That's the that's the worst joke I've ever made on this podcast, dude. When that episode where like they like shave their like he shaves his sponge down to his brain. Yeah. Like, it, it, he he's very condom-shaped at that point. Like, that thing could slip right over. Yeah. And he's probably tiny, you know? Yeah, he's They're tiny. Yeah. So, um, in comparison to Plankton, honey, we can imagine. They're tiny. Um, 
Yeah, I I don't know. Like I that was just interesting to me because like the whole Planned Parenthood thing also was basically like there's no perfect there's no perfect thing that's going to make you totally safe from sex, but that doesn't necessarily mean you shouldn't have sex. And I like that as a message because I think it's like you can swing either way too far on the pendulum where like sex is so scary and it's going to kill you and never have it and never have sexual feelings or sex is great. Like sex is great 100% of the time and you're never going to feel bad about it when you have it. Yeah. Go get fucked all the time. It's it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I liked this idea that it's kind of like, okay, like we can go in the middle and be like, this is essentially like an adult responsibility in a lot of ways that you have to be prepared for. And that's like, okay. I don't know. Well, the boy, this is like so funny. The boy, Michael, like he's had sex with one person before um, Mm -hmm. the, the protagonist. And he literally from that one time got the clap. He got VD, as they say, venereal disease. Yeah, so funny. Um he's like, yeah, like, man, I got the clap. It sucked. <laughs> because he comes back from a trip and he's like, guess what I got you? And she jokes and she's like, VD. And he's like, that's not funny. Why would you bring that up? Yeah, Why would like, you say that? He's like, that's my experience. Why would you ever mock my experience? Like, um, I, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a, that's a fact of life that I feel like teens don't realize is that like people get the clap fucking constantly. It's like one yeah. of the most, and it's okay. One of the most, you know, um, obviously it's okay. You yeah. just take antibiotics and it's over. It's like when you get, um, when you go to Mexico with your boyfriend, um, and you get a worm that causes you um, to violently shit liquid for to have like, sir level, straight. yeah. It's just sir level um, shitting spells, um, but it's a good lesson. Don't. It's important to get tested for STIs and to not spread that shit around. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we still haven't talked about enough about him naming his penis. Like, I feel like, I feel like, was this possibly an experience that Judy Bloom had that she kind of put in this book? Because this is like, I, I don't know. It, it's just interesting. Like, I would love to read like an analysis, like a literary analysis of this, because it's like, what does this say about this boy that he's naming his penis? His penis is another man. Like, what does this say about the the way that he's having sex? I can tell you what my analysis of it is, is which is that, this character is like deeply selfish. Yeah. And his perspective is deeply male centric. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the penis has to have its own character because it's, he's able to offload decision making onto the penis and he's yeah. able to self aggrandize by you know, giving his penis autonomy. And what's more, the penis is another man mm-hmm. because it's the ultimate symbol of his, like, the masculine authority that he's actively trying to construct for himself. Yeah, because that's, I think, to go back kind of into the consent thing, like, that was a little surprising to me in that there's a lot of moments in this book where she's like, I don't know, basically. And he's like, oh, but I really need you. Like, I'm going to have blue balls, basically. Which now yeah. is like not 
like now, like we know, like that's not a fair excuse. Like obviously, there's never any excuse to push anyone into. Something. We now know that blue balls are not terminal. Back in the day, right. if they, you were diagnosed with blue balls, they didn't know if you would live or die. But now yeah. we know that now purple balls, blue balls are not terminal. Purple balls go to the hospital. You really want to be careful about. Yeah. Um. Well, I think that, like, this goes back to what I was talking about, which is, like, I don't know. Like, I'm in a heterosexual relationship. I get pressured into sex all the time. Like, not in, like, a malicious way, but it's, like, the way that men go about sexuality sometimes is, like, oh, like, you know, for men, like, having sex is socially, physiologically, like, attached to meeting a need that is, like, the way that they are socialized, like, very, like, biological. I shouldn't say I get pressured into sex all the time, but, like, sometimes... You're hyper... You're hyperbolizing. My man... Yes, I'm definitely hyperbolizing because I don't, like... I can say no to sex whenever I want. I can and do say no to sex, like, whenever I want. But, like, the ways that men want to have sex or express that they are horny often are in ways that are less, you know, like, like about a, you know, like obviously there's just different, I don't know. It's like, it's just different. Like we are socialized to think and talk about sex differently. And you see that in this Sometimes it's like, yes. And it's like, so it's not the, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that like a lot of it is not, malicious but like especially when coming out of teen boys who like legitimately like in this book clearly do not view women as whole people due to no fault of their own the way that it comes out is very chauvinistic yeah I I think that's a good point because it's like this is why this book is interesting too because on one side of it it's it the reason it's banned is not because of anything the teen boy does. It's banned because of the teen girl enjoying it. And the teen girl also, like, as she should, like, taking uh, precautions when she's having sex. Because there's another character that we'll talk about who is pregnant in the book, which that one was, I was like, whoa, there's a lot going on here. Um, But yeah, it it is, you know, that is, I guess, also, like, reading this and being like, whoa, like, this guy could use some updating it's like, really, though, like, you know, when I was, um, uh, you know, being around uh, cis men um, sexually, like, had that much changed? No, not at all. And I would even Zero. say it was worse. It was worse because they yes. try to choke you before anything else. So, like... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 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 Like, yeah. I was just reflecting on that today, like, of just... I don't know. It's, it is interesting. Like, and I think a dynamic we get into on the podcast, like you're in a heterosexual relationship. I'm in a, you know, lesbian relationship, but we're both, you know, uh, bisexual to an extent, if I may say that, like, like, uh, I think it's, so I think like, it, it is just interesting when we get to stuff like this to like talk about kind of like what these differences are, because It's it's just wild that this book, like this, it hasn't changed. Like men have not changed, women have. No. And that's still a positive. It's still a positive that you can go and like get birth control 
I mean, as of right now in Illinois, you can. Like, in I some can't states. Speak, yeah, yeah. I can't speak for other states that you can in some states, um, you know, can have an abortion. But 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 the the fact that I guess what I'm trying to say with that, like with us, like being in different types of relationships is just the fact that like I am not um, confronted with having to um, be sexually active with a cis man. And like when I was in college, like that, those experiences were more often than not like traumatizing for me in ways that this book, when I read this and it's like, we should be reading this as, I think Judy Bloom intended it to be like a realistic sexual situation. Yeah. Like that realisticness of it is like still not good. Even though I can appreciate like what this book did and like, I don't think it should be banned. Like I, I am glad that at the end of the day in this book, he, we are kind of recognized that he's kind of an asshole, right? Because like, he's like not understanding he's selfish. He's like thinking of her as his property. And I'm really glad that we get that in this book because this type of um, sexuality that he's espousing here is, is uh, unfortunately still like very common, at least of, you know, 2019. Yeah, no, I think, I think that it's, um, I think that it's not something that like is within the cultural conversation because the way that like some of the sexual liberation movement has swung and something that like we both take issue with and we've kind of expressed is like, you know, toxic sex positivity, which means you like, like it's like everything is okay, obviously. So everybody is incentivized to do everything um, without reflecting on it and reflecting, like, if they actually want it. It's just, like, something that it's, you know, encouraged. Sex is, you know, encouraged to be transactional for young people in a lot of situations. Um, but, like, especially in any relationship, but then, but especially in, you know, like, a heterosexual relationship because of the obviousness of it, like, there is a power dynamic. And there are, like, like... I didn't have non-traumatic sexual experiences until, you know, I was, like, probably, like, 19 or 20. You know what I mean? And it's, like, because, like, men are not socialized. Men are socialized to do what they want in those situations. And... They're also, you know, now these days being, you know, we keep joking about it, like, but being like exposed to like weird pornography where like women are getting choked when they're like 13 years old. Right. Um, Which, and I don't and, like, really yeah, have an like, answer warning. for it. Like, like that, I don't, it's like. To get deep, that literally was what I was thinking about today. Like reading about this relationship and being like, wow, that, yeah. this guy is still not being good, but that's like still like better than like. Yeah, true worry, like making out with a guy and like this has happened to me. This has happened to so many women I know within like minutes of making out, he tries to choke you. Like, and, and yeah. I don't know. And again, so like I haven't weird. been in the kind of hookup pool since like in like four years, but like that type of stuff, like, like I, this book just had me thinking a lot. And like, yeah, I don't know. It's well, yeah. so I, um, I, there's a local Columbus uh, theater company that's actually, you know, it's, I, I disparagingly call it a community theater, but it's actually, you know, like a local, like regional theater company um, that does a lot of good, interesting stuff. 
Um, and they put on the first non-Broadway production of um, Jeremy O'Harris's uh, show Slave Play um, that's currently going on. And Nick and I went to go see it the other night. And, like, I should have expected this because, like, everybody talks, you know, like, it was such, like, a well, you know, like, a very popular and controversial show. And Jeremy O'Harris is, like, clearly such a fantastic writer. But the show was, like, it's so specific. It's about, you know, sexual power dynamics in um, interracial Interracial relationships between, yes, between, um, like, a a Black partner and a non-Black partner. Um, And it's about that. But then also I found myself, like, because it was so well done in the specificness, thinking about the universality of power dynamics in all sexual relationships and the ways that, like, we have to constantly be learning and growing with partners in any relationships to not, um, like, reenact sexual traumas and, like, traumatize each other in these intimate relationships. Like, that's obviously not what the play is about, but that's it's definitely, like, at a macro level, like, something that it's like being taken from the play. And it's like, I, that I, it was so genius. I would, I would encourage anybody to check it out. Like it's, it's a very controversial show, but it's very like really, really thought provoking um, uh, in that way, which is that like, you can be in an intimate loving relationship, but in like, there's always going to be just because of naturally how people are in historic power dynamics, but then also like lived experience power dynamics. Like there's also, there's always going to be opportunities for us to like traumatize each other and yeah. to like violate one another. Yeah. Um, even when there is no intent or even like awareness that like you're doing so. And like, that's something at least for me, like in a heterosexual sexual relationship, like, I don't know. Like I've had a lot of reckonings with that. I feel like, and like talking through that and things like that. And it's like, not, you know, like, well, you can never be be in a vacuum. Ugly. You can never be in a vacuum without outside sexual experience. Exactly. And I I think, or or without the kind of the world coming down on you. And I mean, you can think about that, like whether you're in a heterosexual relationship, like whatever type of relationship you're in, like, yeah, you're never going to be without kind of that eye of, the male gaze and then the societal male gaze and all these things you've learned, all these things you've taken in of what is supposed to be sexy. What isn't like, what is appropriate? What isn't like, you know, we can be as educated. Like that's, I think that's the like issue is like, and what I hope that future generations will have that our generation didn't is like, we are at a point where we know that academic, we know like what is fucked up and what isn't fucked up. Right. Like to an extent, (laughs) like we, we are here with our our knowledge of of what a really healthy sexual relationship can be but even when we enact that we've we've had to kind of endure years and years of this um these micro traumas essentially like as as women as anyone where yeah. we are being served all these crazy like violent sexual things and all these like super objectifying things and not that like you know no one is let off easy in this. Everyone is going to have to deal with this. So I really hope that for people in the generations in the future, that yeah. they can have to deal with this a little less than we did. Because I think our generation specifically is like, has a very specific, like, 
it's like logical minds thinking one thing and then our our emotional history has been told another thing. I don't know if that made sense, but. I think that it does make sense. I think I just have a more cynical outlook on it, which is that like, like I said this towards the beginning, that like until there's a more active deconstruction of um, like the commodification of women and like, our insane, um, insanely repressed, like fucking like evangelical Christian values um, around sex and sexuality. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any progress because honestly, like if I think about it, like, do I feel like people younger than us are liberated in a way that's divorced from like, conservative pathology no. like no like and when i say I that i mean like, like young a baby like that is born today like i hope a baby that is born today but, yeah but yeah. like it's like what is what is actually changing like until you just have a wider way of ways to sexually traumatize someone i that's genuinely yeah. how i feel which yeah. is fucked up but it's like now like Kids And, like, I don't mean to sound like an alarmist because, like, I truly believe this is the same phenomenon reinventing itself over and over again. Um, I don't think it's anything new. But, like, kids feel pressure to, like, label their sexuality on TikTok um, and, like, are, like, hyper-communitized, like, based on sexual labels you know, like in like, because like, obviously identity experimenting is like supernatural and super uh, helpful. Like now, like it's like something that gets like cemented on like the internet forever. And it's like, yes, there's more acceptance around being queer and like sexually experimenting, but it's also like, it's like, oh, well, you need to sexually experiment or like you need to like label your sexuality if you do something that like exists outside of like the binary in which like you find yourself. Well, and that's coming from an adult, adult perspective, because I think it's like, like, well, if I'm understanding what you're saying, like, like these teens are, are facing pressures in many ways, but that's not necessarily I mean, I'm sure it is internal in some ways, but this is maybe more from an adult perspective of being like, oh, you're going to do that? Well, you better tell me what it is then. Like, like they're not getting the actual freedom to, because, I don't know. I think more so what I'm commenting on is like teens living in a space where it's, teens have always like just developmentally, like the teen years are about like, the ways that you negotiate your identity versus like in relief with that of your peers. But now they have more ability. We all have more ability to like surveil one another and to be like, to be hyper aware of like the movements of other people. And so the, like it forces you like, while you may be more liberated because, or you might think that you're more liberated because you have access to more information and access to more community. Like you're actually forced into a box in a more public way than teens are usually forced into a box. 
And so it's like that liberation to me is like, doesn't actually feel like it's liberating. I don't know. I mean, like this is, this is girls like us after dark. And I like, yeah, what I am saying could make no sense. Well, I, I'm just trying to clarify that it's not like that you're, you're not. And I know you're not saying this, but like, just for the listener, like you're not being like, well, a a 12 year old calling uh, himself gay in Florida like you're not trying to be like a like no, a DeSantis level. No, 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 no. I think yeah. that it's just like it's like I wish that I think that there is like cultural conservatism as a whole that is on like it's forcing people into boxes because of our abilities to like I don't think that sexual liberation as it stands now is something that is wholly positive because it's still intrinsically linked to commodification and to um, exploitation. Yeah, no, I think, I think that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like the fact that like, yeah, like I, I think what, what you're saying in that, it doesn't matter if you have access to more sexual labels as long as you are living in this society that still expects yeah. sexuality between whoever to look a certain way. Yes. Yeah. And also, like, it's like there's punitive responses for, like, you know, like, you see it, you see the wheels, at least I see the wheels spinning all of the time on, like, certain corners of, like, TikTok and like Twitter and Instagram where like teens who like they want to experiment with their sexuality, they want to experiment with labels. And so of course they, um, you know, they express their identity one way and then they get into the trap that we're all in, which is that our identities are always fluid and always developing. Um, And then they get punished for like changing how they feel. Like, this hyper, the hyper panic around like teens identifying as trans and then like either detransitioning or moving into like a different space of like gender, um, of gender expression. Like it's punitive on both ends. It's punitive, like they're punished for wanting to transition and then they're punished for wanting to express their gender in a different way, whether that right. be detransitioning, et cetera. Whereas it's like, like, <laughs> It's all, there's like punditry on both sides. It's like, it's ultimately who cares? Like I was reading some like article in the New York Times today that was like once again being alarmist about like teens transitioning and detransitioning. And I'm like, I just can't, like I truly cannot get on the logic level where I would care that a child transitioned and then detransitioned. Like I just, I true, like, it's like, that sounds like actually the most normal thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, like, because it's it's the idea that everyone, regardless of, because of our culture and the way that it is and the way that I think, I mean, I'm sure this is with other countries too, but like American culture is where it's like, you, you get up by your bootstraps, you made a decision, you're going to stick to it. That is just not the way teenness like and let's take it outside of gender take it outside of sexuality nothing is going to operate like that right like a teen is going to be a teen a human is going to be a human like we cannot um tie ourselves or i i i shouldn't say ourselves 
we should not hold others to any sort of um, identity firmness in a way because that that ultimately yeah. becomes a pressure like that that it, yeah what I what I totally get what you're saying it's like we should not ex- we should not put that pressure upon others because that then takes but it away basically that takes away that like, freedom what I what I think that I mean by all of this is that like we are just finding different ways to make sexuality gender and the way that they intersect and the way that they interact in our world to be characterized by punishment and like punitive action in general. Like it's like you truly cannot win, even though like we might feel like there are more options available to young people now, it's still like being stuck in a like Foucault machine all of the time, basically. And that like you're just constantly being punished for every decision because like you no say no matter what decision you make with, with your sexuality it will be wrong yeah basically yes like that is what exactly and, and like, back then yes. they talk about at one point in forever like oh well back in the day like girls like you it, uh good girls didn't have sex right like and it's like you know we like to think we've moved beyond the uh, madonna whore complex but we certainly haven't and it's just uh no uh, and we never will one like million i ways. literally yeah yes yeah, like, it's, we literally never will. Because it's like, oh, oh, we're so much more liberated now. Like, teens can, like, dance sexy on TikTok. And it's like, well, that's not what we Teens can do the for. savage dance. Like, yeah, like, that's, I didn't want to see that. That's not what I wanted. Um, I wanted people to be left alone. Um, if you're going to dance sexy, not- do it in the comfort of your own home with toxic on just yeah. dance. Okay. Yes. You've got to be looking at a little avatar in a, a flight attendant costume. Otherwise that's a healthy, that's yeah. a healthy experimentation. Otherwise it's, you know, you're on the fucking, you're in the fucking panopticon. Um, I'm okay. I'm worried we're going to get into another big discussion here, but I did really want to bring up the, there's one girl who's like the cousin of the best friend who gets pregnant. Yes. This character, she's really nerdy, apparently. She gets pregnant. The The book opens up with, like, Sybil's been laid five times this year. But then her parents are also trying to send her to fat camp. So I just kind of wanted to get a take on what what do we think is yeah. going on with this character? Just we Sybil. Just we Sybil is all <laughs> I can say. When they said... It, the, like one of the first lines in the book is um, them saying that Sybil has sex a lot because of her body image issues. <laughs> I was like, "Well, I've read enough. Yeah. Um, I hope that she is cured of whatever her issue is." And it's like in the whole book, they're talking about how she's getting fatter, and it's of course because they haven't pregnant. found out yet because yeah. she's pregnant. Um. You know, it's sad, I guess, not to take this to a dark place, but it's sad that Sybil had more options for her pregnancy and more, like, literally per capita more resources than a teenager would have now. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, I want a Sybil spinoff. I want to know more about Sybil's life in this, in this other town. Yeah, um, yeah I, this made me want to read more Judy Bloom, though. You rock, Judy Bloom. I'm glad you did what you did. Yeah. Yeah, it's, this book is really good. And I think that baiting teens with like a sexy book and then 
like a quarter of the book being like a, a pamphlet parenthood where, it's like a pamphlet yes also they make um, her not they don't make her but the doctor's like would you like to look at your cervix have you ever had a gynecologist do that to you the male doctor that was the one thing where i was like seriously a male doctor like you couldn't have thrown a chick doctor in this yeah. it's fiction um that's the 1975 of it all um I have never looked at my cervix, nor do I ever want to look at my cervix. I hope I never, ever see my cervix in my whole life. It's funny that we went to that to then in the 90s, like Charlotte never having looked at her vagina in Sex in the City. I don't really even, I mean, I've looked at my vagina. I don't, I don't ever really feel the need to do that. Well, would you see, this is, uh, not to get in the weeds on this, but I don't think, lighting wise, I don't know if you'd be able to see your cervix unless there's like a flashlight in there. I don't know. I think that there was a flashlight involved. Okay. I think there was a flashlight involved. I do not want to see my cervix. That's, oh no, I'm haunted. Nick's been like stashing shit in there. There's like acorns in there. Oh my God. I'm sure it's dirty as a fucking pigsty. <laughs> Dusty ass cervix. His stinky little dick in there. Storage unit. Narking that shit up. I still Hell haven't unpacked some boxes no. in my cervix. I don't know. It's been years since since I moved and they're still packed up in there, but I'll get to it eventually. I don't want to know what's in there. I don't want to know what's in there. I cannot stress this enough. I don't. It's like every time I feel it, even like during sex, you know, because sometimes, you know, you'll feel it. It's like, I don't like to remember that that's there. Yeah. You need to, we need to name our cervixes. I think we need to take a cue from this book. Lena Dunham. Ralphie. (laughs) Uh, hey you know what Planned Parenthood's still a good resource if you're a teen out there looking for resources that's the way to go this did make me want to be like more like involved with like that sort of access I mean I am very privileged to live in a state where that type of access is still available which we cannot say for every state in the US so yeah um, yeah kind of honestly the more that I'm thinking about it 50 years later, the fact that things have actually regressed from the point in this book is not fun to think about. Um, but hey, it was still available on on Kindle. You know, hopefully public libraries continue to have access to these types of materials. Um, even the Libby app. The Libby app, no banned books on the Libby app. So they're not banned in books. Libby's, uh, she's a, a modern girl. She's keeping it real. Yeah. All right, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, I hope um, you enjoyed our... Anytime we talk about, like, a book that's going to be funny, like, because, of course, someone naming his penis is very funny. It just evolves it into... It is deeply funny. I think yeah. it is good discussion, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, hey, yeah. Um, enjoy your Valentine's Day. Go watch some you with your boo. Watch, go some, watch you some you with your you. boo. Happy Valentine's Day. Um... And uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. As always, this is Girls Like Us. You can find us on social media at Girls Like Us Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our Patreon and be our ultimate Valentine for $5 a month. (laughs) Patreon.com slash Girls Like Us Show. As always, our lovely producer is um, America's Valentine, Camden Stacey. Uh, and our theme music is by the wickedly talented, one and only, super duper, freaking sexy, Leggy. Uh, they're just as Leggy as the green M&M, who I'm sure was resurrected last night in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and his um, 
his boy, St. Valentine. Um, have a great week, everybody. Ciao, Bye. Bella. Bye. Bye.